This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and today's episode is the first of a two-part conversation with Editor-in-Chief of AthleticsFarm.com, Bill Moriarty, who discusses potential minor league contraction, the strengths of the A's system, the A's philosophy and player evaluation, and much more. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. The editor-in-chief of A's Farm, Bill Moriarty, is our guest on uh, the latest edition of the Portside Pod. Uh, Bill, I've followed your work for some time. I grew up an A's fan and, and interested in the minor leagues. I appreciate you taking the time. How are you? Uh, good, good, absolutely. Happy to happy to be here. I'm, I'm I'm a lifelong A's fan as well, so I'm always happy to talk about the A's. And uh, you know, I'm a lifelong minor league baseball fan as well, so I'm always happy to talk about that too. There you go. So I, I guess you kind of answer the question there of how A's Farm came to be. You're an A's fan, you're a minor league fan, and you're a good writer. So there you go. <laughs> well, you know, uh, there is a long story to it, but I'll give you a very short version. Yeah, I did grow up a lifelong A's fan in Sacramento. And uh, for a while, we did have minor league ball in Sacramento. Before the River Cats, we had the Sacramento Solons. And uh, I did get to go out to a lot of minor league games back, back then, which was a lot of fun. But also, um, in the early 2000s, through a series of events, I got to know both Barry Zito and Billy Bean um, quite well. This was before the Moneyball book came out. So, but when he was still a little more of a, of a mortal, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, and I got to know Barry and Billy. So that kind of opened some doors into the A's, you know, organization for me. And I kept in touch with Billy over the years. We talk about, we used to talk about music all the time because we're both big music fans. And I was working as a music writer. I did a lot of work in the music business, but I found every opportunity to write about baseball that I, <laughs> that I could. And then through getting to know Billy and keeping in touch with him and getting to know Barry and, and talking to him, um, you know, that made it easier for me to do something. And when I decided I wanted to start a baseball website, I just figured, you know, plenty of people writing about the A's, but the minor leagues never get enough attention. And there's so much right. going on there. It's so much interesting uh, stuff to talk about that, that that's where I'd focus it. And when I started the website, the first thing I did was I got Billy Bean to, to give me an exclusive interview to kick off the website. So that kind of helped, you know, helped get things rolling, got off to a good start there anyway. No question. I mean, that helps your credibility right off the bat. You have Billy Bean, the A's GM, uh, doing a Q&A for your first piece for the website. I mean, Right off the bat, that's, I mean, A's fans are all about it. Yeah, no, I figured that I figured that couldn't hurt. So uh, he was kind enough to, to give me the time to do that. I, I remember when we did that interview, actually, it was funny. He was actually, that well, that was nine, that was a little over nine years ago. And he was uh, driving out to spring training from the Bay Area to, oh. to Arizona. And we were, you know, we were on the phone in his car as he was, <laughs> as he was driving out. And as you know, that, that could be a long drive from the Bay Area to, uh, to the Phoenix area. So uh, yeah. he did have a little free time on his hands to chat that day. <laughs> well, and, and your music writing career uh, in baseball also kind of, I mean, that, is a natural marriage with Barry Zito, who's now in the music industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny because I kind of got to know Barry. Um, he and his uh, sister uh, had an apartment just a few blocks away from me, and his whole family are musicians. You know, his sister had a band. His parents are both in the music business, and I had friends who knew his sister, and I ended up going to her shows, and Barry was playing with her, you know. So, uh, you know, and by the end of the night, we'd end up back at, you know, back at their apartment. So uh, wow. what? What's funny is when Barry, 
uh, the year Barry won the Cy Young, he was living in this little apartment in Hollywood with his sister, which, um, trust me, was not all that impressive. And, uh, and there was a story that, that a guy from USA Today came out to interview Barry after he won the Cy Young. And their building, there was, it's a security building, but unfortunately the intercom didn't actually work. Um, so you would have to go around the side of the building and yell up at the balcony, you know, to let them know you were there. And apparently the USA Today guy got there and he's, the buzzer's not working. Somebody tells him, oh, you got to go around the side and yell up. And he thinks he's being set up. You know, this is some kind of joke. Like this, this can't be the home of the great Cy Young winner, you know, Barry Zito. But, uh, but indeed it was. He was living, you know, quite humbly, you know, for, for uh, quite a while. I was just going to say, like that's that's exactly where you'd expect a Cy Young winner to uh, to live, right? But it kind of seems like on brand for Barry Zito's personality. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's funny because I remember I'd I'd be going over there to to see his sister for something, and and I'd walk in, and and Barry would be in his little bedroom with a surfboard propped up against the wall, sitting on his bed strumming the guitar, you know. And he looked like you know just every other like unemployed musician in L.A. You know? <laughs> he just happens to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, exactly. He just happened to be the Cy Young winner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Barry. Barry was very humble and down to earth, you know. At, at, at that at that time, that was really that was really cool to see. You know, he definitely uh, he definitely was keeping some perspective on it. <laughs> he kind of stayed that way throughout his whole career. I mean, it's it seemed even after signing the big money deal with the Giants. I mean, he see, he always seemed like that kind of down to earth, humble type of guy. Yeah, and, and as you may know, he's you know he's been living in Nashville for the last few years since he went to pitch there in AAA. He he stayed, you know, and his wife is from uh, Southern Missouri, which is not that far away. So uh, you know they've made a home there in Nashville, and they're leading a pretty you know pretty normal life. Uh, I mean, I know I've seen pictures of his house, and it's nice, but it's not you know like a palace or anything. And uh, I know I saw his sister posting pictures online one time when she went down to visit him, and there were like about half a dozen trucks parked on his front lawn. You know, she's, she's, she made some comment about, you know, you, you don't have to live long in the South before this happens, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I think he's still keeping it real anyway. I love that. You mentioned the, the Sacramento Solons. Where, where did they play in Sacramento? I mean, obviously, Rayleigh Field wasn't around. Was there a stadium nope. on the same side or... Man, that is a whole story. They played, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Sacramento City College. They usually oh, have yeah. a pretty good baseball program. So, yeah. uh, but Hughes Stadium is basically a football field and a track and field uh, place. And that's where the Sacramento Solons played. The problem was left field was literally, I think it was about 215 feet. And that's not an exaggeration. That's literally what it was. And they put up a giant net giant net but at the time uh gorman thomas was one of the the, the players i don't know if you remember uh, storm and gorman for the uh, harvey's wall bangers the milwaukee brewers and he hit i think he hit about 50 home runs uh that year so if you were a power hitter with power to right who could put the ball in the air they were just sailing over the net left and right i mean it was unbelievable that it was the strangest stadium ever i think there was actually a pacific coast league rule the left field that the lines had to be a certain minimum length and this actually fell just below it and they actually just kind of overlooked it you know <laughs> because they just needed to have that team playing there in sacramento right. for a few years um so it was a crazy crazy park what was interesting is the manager for a couple years there was a guy you probably heard of named bob lemon 
who uh, shortly thereafter ended up getting hired by George Steinbrenner a couple times to manage the Yankees uh, after after firing Billy Martin a couple times. <laughs> I love all the all the connections between the old Pacific Coast League and Major League Baseball's history. It's it's pretty unbelievable. You know, what was interesting at that time too is there was a team in Hawaii. One of the teams in the Pacific Coast League was the Hawaii Islanders. You know, and and so guys were making road trips out to Hawaii all the time. That was that was a trip the players loved. I I always heard. You know, <laughs> getting on that plane and flying to Hawaii for a few days. <laughs> what, I think Al Michaels actually got his his career started with the Hawaii the Hawaii Islanders. Oh, did he? I, did, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm trying to remember. There were a lot of teams that aren't around here. I remember there was a team in Spokane. There was a team in Tucson. You know, we don't have a Pacific uh, Coast League teams there. There was Tacoma, which is that's been a very stable franchise for many years. But yeah, it was just. Uh, I think it was just an eight-team league at that time, as I recall. Right. It was before they'd merged with the American Association. There were three AAA. International American Association and PCL, but yeah, it was a pretty pretty small league. But yeah, guys guys enjoyed that trip out to Hawaii a lot more than they enjoyed the trip to Spokane, I'm sure. So. Interesting, man. I, I, yeah, I can't. I, I do college basketball in St. Mary's. I go to Spokane every winter. I, I, you know. Winter, perfect time to be there. You know exactly. I mean, we're talking like in sometimes in the negatives, like minus oh, man. three. You well, know. I'll tell you that that that's kind of like the A's uh, team in the Midwest League, Beloit. You know, I mean, the, when you start play there in the Midwest League in April and May, it, it's still below freezing a lot of nights. And I remember there was one season. I think it was the season that Matt Olson first started playing in Beloit. Literally half the April schedule was rained or snowed out. Uh, it was unbelievable. And then when they did play, like I said, it was freezing. It'd be like 32 degrees. Well, try hitting when you're playing in 32 degree weather and you're only playing every other night. You know, <laughs> it's pretty hard to get into a good rhythm. Yeah. Oh, I can. I remember talking to Trace Lair about this a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And he, he, I asked him, like, hey, is that a real? Because I've, I've heard about, you know, the Midwest League. Hitters can't wait to get out of the Midwest League, right. especially early in the year, I asked him, is that a real thing? He said, yeah, you know, imagine facing 95 miles an hour. And a guy really doesn't know all that much where it's going. Right. And like you said, it's two degrees below freezing. I can't, I can't imagine. You're just trying to, trying to keep the grip on the bat at that, at that point. <laughs> but yeah, I'll tell you, guys are, you know, guys are often, you'll see, very happy when they get to Stockton, you know. I mean, you rarely ever have a rain out any time of year, you know. Yeah. I mean, every game goes on as scheduled. I mean, for playing baseball, it's beautiful weather all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, guys know they're going to be on the field every night instead of having to look at the weather forecast to figure out whether or not they're going to play. And, uh, you know, it's definitely playing in Stockton playing in the Cal League is definitely not a bad situation for most minor leaguers it's a pretty nice environment as far as uh, uh, places to play at that level go especially hitting from what I've heard especially oh, I, I, yeah absolutely and you know there, there it used to be even more so when there were a couple more teams in the Cal League that were real you know hitters paradises um, I noticed last year you know with the elimination of those two two teams I mean the, the the overall offensive statistics in the Cal League were down a bit they weren't quite so inflated as they had been before but still hitters hitters enjoy hitting in the Cal League and they they enjoy hitting in in Stockton at the ballpark there as well so when when fans go to athleticsforum.com, which is your website, they they can find written pieces, but it looks like they can also find podcasts. And you've also had quite a few pieces on A's Cast, uh, which, right. which plenty of A's fans in Northern California uh, are are familiar with. Uh, do you want to expand on that at all? You know what what fans can find before we get into the kind of the meat of this uh, this conversation with A's prospects, the minor leagues. Sure. What fans can find at A's, at athleticsforum.com? 
you know, normally during the season, we, you know, we cover the, the daily schedule every day. We have updates on every game in the A's minor league system. Unfortunately, there haven't been too many of those daily updates lately, but uh, when, when games are going on, we do provide that every day. So you can get a daily dose of minor league action in the A's system. But also, you know, right now we've got stories about, of course, you know, what's been going on, the, the scouts and the development staff being uh, furloughed, the, the minor league players being furloughed, um, you know, the pieces about, you know, whether or not the, the minor league season is going to happen this year. Um, we talked about some of the players that the A's uh, released in, in, um, in March, too, as well. There were about a couple dozen play, minor league players that got released once it, it became clear that the whole thing was going to be delayed. We also looked at uh, recently, um, you know, who were, the, who were the guys that were set to, to make the A's opening day roster as spring training was kind of starting to, to starting to provide some answers to that. You know, we like, who, who would have been on the, the 25 five-man roster now you might have a 30 plus man roster so everybody might might make the roster but uh, but at one point there was a little more competition for that and then of course as we always do in the offseason uh, a couple months ago we uh, we offered our top 10 prospects list as all as well and uh, you know looked at the, the guys that were you know the top uh, the top minor league prospects at this point so during the season you can get daily updates on the minor leagues um, in in the offseason uh, we also provide looks at everything else that's going on and as you mentioned like yourself I was fortunate last year to have the chance to do um, to do some podcasts for the, uh, the the whole Ace Cast situation, which was a great development. I think we did a couple dozen, um, you know, 24, 25 maybe uh, podcasts called The Farm, where we uh, you know we looked at everything going on down on the farm, talking to players, talking to uh, minor league managers, coaches, A's player development staff. I mean, everyone involved in the minor leagues. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to talk to for A's Cast, and uh, um, you know, we look forward forward to being able to, to, to get back to that at some point too, as, as I'm sure you look forward to getting back to what you're supposed to be doing as well. It's hard to keep in mind, but you know, it will happen at some point. We know it'll happen <laughs> at some point. We're not quite sure when, but we know that baseball will be back at some point. And that, that is comforting. That is comforting at least. Sometime before we die, we will be able to enjoy baseball again. <laughs> you know, so. Well, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. That's all I, I got to say. I, I, agree, I agree wholeheartedly. It, you know, the, the thing about the baseball season, it's such a sort of routine thing. You know, like once, once April hits, you kind of know what you're going to be doing, you know, every day. However you're involved in it, you know, it's a daily thing that you know you're going to be doing. And when there's no baseball, you know, you're, it's, you don't know how to structure your life. You know, I mean, I think so much of my life is structured around baseball, you know. Know, with it, without it, uh, you know, uh, the life has no purpose. I mean, right. you have to figure out what to do with your day. You know? it's, all, yeah. it's a whole different ball game, so to speak. <laughs> well, and speaking, and you, you brought Beloit a little while ago, so you know, let's talk about the minor league, the major league plan for the possible contraction of the minor leagues. And you mentioned what a lot of people gloss over is the fact that Major League Baseball wants to control more aspects of minor league baseball. I guess mm -hmm. all of it, uh, you know, ultimately. So. You know, where do you fall on this whole contraction plan? Obviously, Lancaster is, is affected in the Cal League. As of right now, we don't know if the list that Major League Baseball came out will, will be the final list. Right. Um, but, you know, I guess what's the latest on that? What, what have you heard about Major League Baseball's plan? We talked about Beloit possibly building a new stadium or having plans to build a new stadium once they figure out what their fate is going to be. Uh, you know, where do you fall on this whole deal? 
Well, you know, as people probably heard, you know, the Major League Baseball would like to contract the minor leagues by about 40, 42 teams, uh, you know, realign the, realign the leagues and, and really limit teams to, to four, um, four regular affiliates, four non-complex affiliates, you know, outside their spring training facilities. And, um, you know, this requires a lot of changes in the minor leagues <laughs> if you're going to do that. Uh, I think the major league owners view the kind of current chaos in baseball as a good opportunity to just sort of push forward this plan and and really restructure everything and and eliminate a lot of teams and it looks like that'll be happening you know as soon as they get the more important issues of the major league season and things like that are wrapped up so um there was a, a preliminary list that leaked out of teams that might be contracted um you know A's fans would be interested to know that the the teams uh, uh a-ball affiliate in Midwest League Beloit was on that original list. Um, also, the New York Penn League team, uh, the Vermont uh, Lake Monsters were on that list. Uh, there weren't too many Cal League teams on that list. There was one, the Lancaster Jethawks, it was talked about. They might be contracted, uh, which would necessitate uh, some other team moving down a notch into the Cal League. Uh, we've talked about before, maybe maybe Fresno, um, who used to be a member of the Cal League at one point, too. So lots of potential changes coming. I mean, the major league owners just feel the minor leagues has gotten too big, too unwieldy, not not managed properly and they'd like to not just contract teams but really take greater control over the whole minor league system you know they they don't want there to be a separate independent minor league uh, office so they want to have that in the commissioner's office they want to you know change the way the major league teams work with the minor league teams change the agreements make them more stable make them more long term and and basically you know they want to be able to dictate how the minor leagues work. And, you know, that's a big part of this whole plan. Um, as I've mentioned to you before, Beloit is, um, wants to build a new stadium. They've got the plans in place. They've got, they've got funds in place. They were supposed to start building in April. But since they're not sure if they're going to have a, a major league affiliated franchise, they haven't uh, put the shovels in the ground quite yet. So they're obviously waiting to see whether or not they're going to get a reprieve from major league baseball or if they're going to end up uh, staying on the contraction list. And, um, you know that I'm sure will determine whether or not they 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 build that new stadium there, which from the renderings I've seen looks like it would be a pretty nice place. Certainly a definite mm -hmm. upgrade for uh, Beloit Snappers fans. Um, but you know uh, all of this is a little delayed because of the bigger issues that Major League uh, Baseball is dealing with at the moment. So um, hopefully they can get the, the Major League season going again, and then they can turn their focus and start figuring out uh, you know what exactly they're going to do with the minor leagues here. Well, listen, I mean, there's never a good time for a pandemic to hit, obviously. But right. in, in the case of the minor leagues, I mean, this happened at the exact wrong time because it looked like they were getting traction, at least from what I read, from local politicians putting pressure on Major League Baseball to you know, not eliminate these 40 teams or see what they could do about not eliminating these 40, these 40 teams. Obviously, you know, local politicians are now being – dragged into the arena of public health and rightfully so and right. without games being played and fans in the stands for minor league baseball some of these teams are being hurt by that it would seem yeah i mean without you know without minor league baseball having games this year it just sort of 
throws all of minor league baseball back on its heels. You know, I mean, sure. he's, as you know, it's a, you know, not that big a profit margin for these teams. So they're all just trying to survive at this point. And, you know, with major league baseball, the resources they have and the power they have, um, you know, it looks like they're probably just going to be able to get their way. It's going to be very hard for the minor league teams to, to sort of unite and, and, you know, oppose it. They, it's pretty much clear that, that the minor league teams are going, you know, are going to go along with major league baseball's plan. You know, they, they may push for some alterations here and there, you know, some little adjustments, but it looks pretty clear that the, the minor league baseball is going to have to accept uh, major league baseball's plan for contraction of teams. And it's now just a matter of determining exactly which teams those are going to be, how leagues will be reconfigured. Um, but the plan, you know, will be to have 30 triple A teams, 30 double A teams, 30 high A teams, 30 low A teams, and that's it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we're not going to go any further than that. Teams can still have, you know, um, sort of like rookie teams playing at their complexes in Arizona or Florida under this plan, but but no other affiliated baseball in cities beyond those, um, you know, 120 teams, basically. Do you see, I mean, Liz, it's never a good thing for so many players and so many coaches to lose their jobs. That's what's going right. to happen if, if this plan goes through. But on the other side of the coin, Maybe there's a scenario in which these players that are left in a restructured minor league system are paid a little bit more. Yeah, that, that is part of the plan, actually. Major league uh, owners have said that with this contraction that they will raise uh, minor league player salaries. Which, which is long since overdue. Yeah, is a good yeah. thing because, as we all know, they don't get played a whole lot of, as it stands now. So anything more would be helpful and, um, you know, would be very much appreciated, I'm sure. So hopefully they stick to that promise. Uh, uh, hopefully they, uh, they uh, don't go back on that one because, if anything, you do want to see the minor minor league players who would still have jobs be a little better compensated for the jobs they do after, after all they've been through. Without a doubt. I mean, and again, if there is one thing, uh, you know, a good thing that could come out of that, I guess that would be it, but you never yeah. want to see anyone lose their jobs without a doubt. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, and you've seen a lot of major league players cutting minor league, minor league players here in the last few weeks yeah. as well. And, you know, part of that's due to, you know, obviously the shutdown, but, but part of it is also that they know going forward, they're going to end up with fewer players in their system. I think teams were going to be capped at like, uh, you know, 150 players in their, in their minor league system or, or wow. something under, like that under the new plan. So, um, you know, one way or another, teams are going to have to be cutting minor leaguers down the line. And since there's no games going on right now, I think a lot of them are figuring, you know, hey, why not start that process now? It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. Well, let's get into the A's system, Bill, uh, sure. and, and kind of your take on, on the state of the A's system right now. That You've got plenty of content up there on athleticsfarm.com including your latest top 10. I want to get into that with you. But you know, in your mind, the A's system right now, ESPN, Baseball America, when they do these uh, these organizational ranks, the A's right now fits somewhere in the middle. We know they've got some impact talent in the, in the, high, in the upper levels of the minor leagues, talent that will likely be on the major league roster on the 40-man, on the 25-man, 26-man now roster, whenever MLB baseball, big league baseball, uh, starts again. But in your mind, where, where's the strength in this system right now, level-wise? 
Well, you know, it was interesting because um, the A's had some of their top prospects. We're all due to make the major league roster this year. You know, for the past few years, you've had Jesus Lazardo, A.J. Puck, Sean Murphy, always near the top of that, you know, top prospects list. And this year they were all set to play critical roles for the A's and hopefully they still will you know I mean um, if we get a season going you can expect to see Jesus Lazardo, AJ Puck in the rotation you can expect to see Sean Murphy behind the plate so you've got a lot of top prospects ready to graduate to the to the major leagues full-time this year and once they're out of the minor league system you know our our system rankings might take a little bit of a, of a hit but mm-hmm. the good news is they'll be contributing for the major league club which is the whole point of having these prospects in the first place and if we have this shortened uh, major league season and, you know, that's kind of good for the Luzardos and the Pucks because there was a question about innings limits for those two guys. And now, you know, if we start playing baseball, they could, they could pitch the full season as, a, as it would stand without having to worry about that. But the A's still do have, um, you know, significant pitching depth at the top of the system. The, the AAA rotation this year was looking like it was going to be Daniel Gossett, Paul Blackburn, both of whom have experience in the A's major league rotation, along with James Caprillion. Dalton Jeffries and Grant Holmes. Now those three guys were all either first round or first round supplemental draft picks. You know, so those are those are talented arms. They've been talented arms. They're still talented arms. They all were coming back from significant injuries last year and all looked good in their return last year. And this was going to be their first chance to get significant time at the AAA level here in 2020. So I was really looking forward to seeing that AAA rotation, seeing how yeah. those pitchers developed. Because if you suddenly had a Caprillion, a Jeffries and a Holmes pitching well one step away from the major league level, you know, that gives you a lot of pitching depth. <laughs> depth yeah. to count on you know so I was really looking forward to seeing those guys development this year and unfortunately they, they've been sidelined because we haven't had any games but whenever we do get back into action it'll be really exciting to see how those guys perform at the at the highest level of the system and then the other thing the A's are really strong on in the system is they've got a lot of shortstops at this point I mean as we know, this is supposed to be Marcus Simeon's, uh, um, you know, last year before hitting free agency, um, which is obviously a big, you know, thing for the A's. But uh, they, they've got Jorge Mateo at, at the AAA level. And, um, you know, he spent the last two years at AAA, and he's a very talented um, guy, lots of speed, strong arm, um, you know, an exciting player. Then just below that, you've got Nick Allen, who played at Stockton last year and was really one of the best stories of Stockton last year before he got hurt. And he was scheduled to be at AA this year. And, you know, he, he could play shortstop in the major leagues from a defensive standpoint right now and and the the pop he showed in his bat last year at Stockton you know was really great to see because that was always the big question about him but he was set to be a double a middle in this year and then you guys in Stockton were going to have the A's top draft pick from last year most likely uh, Logan Davidson you know that was going to be very exciting to see him in the Cal League and and how he could do and then last year the A's big uh, international signing for a little over five million dollars was uh, shortstop Robert Powelson who's a six foot three, uh, uh, 16 year old, uh, just about to be 17 year old, I think, um, switch hitting shortstop, you know, so between Jorge Mateo and Nick Allen and Logan Davidson and Robert Powelson, there's definitely some, you know, potential future shortstops in the A's system at this point. You mentioned that, that is interesting to me. The fact that the A's have banked so much on athleticism and up the middle Mm -hmm. talent over the last six, seven years, it seems, maybe a little less, maybe five years. But I remember talking to Melissa Lockhart about this, Mm -hmm. about how the A's have kind of shifted 
a little bit. You know, I mean, they're not the old Moneyball A's anymore. It's funny to me when I read draft <laughs> previews, right? And, and a lot of publications, you know, say, oh, the, the A's are going to be looking for a college bat, that high on base, uh, et cetera, et cetera, playing these old principles from Moneyball. But if you take a look at the position players they've taken, really since they take, took Addison Russell yeah, probably in 2012, I mean, Austin Beck is not a Moneyball type of pick. Right. Right. So, you know, I mean, when did you start to see this kind of shift? Well, I'll tell you, you mentioned it. 2012 is really when you could see it go big time because not only Addison Russell, but the A's first three picks in that draft were high school, high school guys, Addison Russell, Daniel Robertson and Matt Olson, three high school guys at the top. And of course, I, I, you know, I always interview Eric Kubota, the A's scouting director after the draft. And of course, I say to him, oh, you know, this isn't the old days. You're taking high school, you know, high school guys. And, you know, he he always pushes back on me. He's always a little annoyed when I say, <laughs> it's like, you know, we just we're just looking to take the best players. We're not discriminating against high school guys here. We don't have anything. But, you know, something interesting that the GM David Force said to me at one point when I asked him about this, because, you know, it's hard not to note that suddenly they're taking high school guys when they were hardly ever doing it. And I asked him about it, and this was quite a few years ago now, but he, he said at that time, he said, you know, we've got so much more information available on high school guys now than we ever did before. And there's so many more tournaments and travel teams and, you know, yeah. so many more opportunities to see them and so much more information available that, that we feel a lot more comfortable picking high school guys before that, that before you didn't get that many looks at them and there wasn't that much information on them. So, you know, you know, from an analytics standpoint, we didn't feel comfortable doing it. Now we feel like we can evaluate those high school guys almost like we could evaluate the college guys. So that's one of the reasons, according to David Forrest, anyway, from what he told me, why the A's got to be more comfortable, you know, going with, you know, going with high school guys in the last number of years anyway, is, is the additional information that was available to them. Though I would say in, in this upcoming draft, I, I, I do expect them to probably rely more heavily on, on college picks as most teams probably will this right. year. Um, because you know a lot of those top top high school guys are going to be uh, hard to sign with the, the the bonus restrictions and everything. So um, you know I would expect them to to be leaning heavily college this year. But but in general they they definitely have become much more comfortable going with 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 uh, high school guys now that they've got more information available on them. Let's shift now to weaknesses that you perceive in the A's system, or may, not maybe weaknesses is the wrong word. You know maybe it's shortcomings in in a certain area. Right. Sure. I, you know go ahead. Yeah, well, I, th- I think after, you know, after you get through the sort of top tier of pitching, you know, when, once you've got your Lazardos, Pucks, Caprillians, uh, Holmes, Jeffries, you know, you don't have guys quite of that caliber backing them up after that. You know, I mean, I think, you know, it would, you'd be hard pressed to come up with some names, you know, that, that would, you know, rank in that caliber. So, you know, I think the A's, you know, once they get past that level of pitching prospects could definitely benefit from a little more strength. I mean, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to see them take a whole bunch of college pitchers in this upcoming draft and just start fortifying the system with that next wave of pitchers. Of course, there are some talented guys down there, but there's not a big crop like, like that. And um, I think, the A's, the A's in the in the in the lower systems, they've got guys like, you know, Tyler Baum was a second round pick last year. He might have been in Stockton this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some of some of these guys here and there, but there's just not a big group of them like they have cloistered at the, at the cluster to the top of, of the system. So I'd like to see some more minor league pitching depth. And you know, you can never have too much pitching. Pitching is always valuable. Right. You know? As the A's have learned time and time again. Exactly. It's always yeah. at the heart of their success. You know, when they've got good pitching, it's always when they do well. So I'd like to see some more some more 
pitching at, at the lower levels. So I, said, I think they're covered on shortstops for a while, <laughs> so we don't have to worry too much about that. But when, when it comes to drafting position players, you know, you're right. The A's definitely have been focused on middle infielders a lot lately, you know, and, and a lot of those guys, you know, they're usually some of the most talented athletes. You figure, well, you know, if he doesn't work at a shortstop, you can move him to second, right. you can move him to third. If he's got speed, you can put him in center field, you know. So, you know, why not have a guy that, that you know, it gives you a lot of options. And as you've seen, the A's value versatility, you know, in, in, in recent years and on these teams. And I, I think, you know, middle infielders are the guys who are most likely to prove to be versatile, versatile players in the field. It's interesting you bring that point up because Bobby Crosby has come on this podcast and said basically the same thing. Rick Magnante, Anthony Aliotti, a former Port, uh, who is now an A's area scout, yeah. they've said, listen, give, if, if I'm going to choose between one or the other, you know, a guy that has a certain set of skills or an athlete, mm-hmm. you know, give, give me an athlete. And I'll, <laughs> I, I, can, I can mold them into kind of what I want them to be. And it seems like, like we talked about, it's kind of the, the direction the A's have gone in, at least at the top of these drafts. With yeah, the exception well, of a few players. Of course, scouts love those athletic guys, though, too. That's that's right. their bias, you know. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, just in terms of, I mean, the A's. One thing they've de- definitely developed over the recent years is this focus on versatility, because you know mm-hmm. they've gotten to the point where they want to carry thirteen pitchers, and yeah. if you're carrying thirteen pitchers, that means you're only going to have three guys on your bench. Well, those guys better be able to do a few things. You know, mm-hmm. where the A's be without Chad Pinder for the last couple oh, of years? I yeah. Mean, Exactly. You know, I mean, Ben Zobrist, of course, was one of the first guys in baseball to sort of be that sort of super utility guy. But eventually every team started to realize the value of having someone like that. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, teams would carry nine or 10 pitchers and sometimes they'd have 16 position players. You know, (laughs) now they're carrying 13 pitchers and maybe 12 position players. And, uh, you know, certainly with the addition of the 26 man, that would that would help out a little bit. But uh, but still, you know, if you're a position player, you better be able to play more more than one position if you want to if you want to stick around to keep your roster spot in the major leagues be on the lookout for part two of my conversation with bill coming on tuesday next week when we dive into some individual prospects and take a look at which players could be in stockton when baseball resumes Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home, anchor.fm slash stockton-ports. You can also visit the Ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the Ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.